Well, hello, everybody. It's Peter Dunn of Pete the Planner Show. I'm the host. 14th year. I think it's the 14th year. I'm bad, but I think it's 14 years this show has been around. And you're thinking, how is that possible? Not How is so no one canceled this outright? And the reason is because it's a podcast. You actually can't cancel a podcast. The reality is it's actually on the radio, too. No one cares. Joining me this week as a co-host is Kristen Alanius. Kristen, hello. Hello. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Uh, good. Uh, to the dismay of Jeremiah, it'll be a short <laughs> program this week. Uh, but I do need to make a very important viewer note uh, and listener note. Some of you remember, Damien mentioned last week on the show that he was going on vacation to Marco Island, Florida. Uh, Damien did go to Marco Island, Florida. And I will let him tell his own story uh, next week if he so pleases. But Damien got home safely. So he and his family got home safely uh, back to his studio. So we're, we're thankful for that. His story to tell. Hello, everybody. Uh, we're going to start the show. We've got uh, how far does a million dollars go in retirement? <laughs> We've got what was the question? How did you pose it? It was beautiful. What was it? It was to be financially well, do you have to have some degree of frugality? That's beautiful. And then uh, so much more. So much more. All right, let's start the show. Um, let me be ready. In three, two, that's not ready. Do, 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 do. Here we go. In three, two, one. This week on the Pete the Planner Show, we answer your money questions. Here's how the show works. You email us, askpete at petetheplanner.com. That's askpete, petetheplanner.com. And uh, we maybe we'll answer your question on the air. Maybe we'll just, uh, we, we won't respond. And maybe it just ends up in our spam folder. And it'll just be like, you know, yelling into the wind. I don't know if that's a phrase. Joining me this week as a co-host, as she so often does, Kristen Alanius, Director of Education at Your Money Line. That's your title, correct? Yes. <laughs> I don't know why I froze up on that for a second. That was strange. Mm, that's okay. Uh, Kristen, how far can a million dollars go in retirement? My group text chain, me and my boys. Uh, a friend of mine texted that the other day. He's like, what do you guys think? And I'm like, why are you addressing the other people? Because you happen to have me in the text chain. Just ask me. Uh, <laughs> and it made me think, how far can a million dollars legitimately go in retirement? So how shall we begin to attack this question? Well, there's the technically slash rule of thumb correct answer, which is, if you take three and a half, anywhere from three to 4%, depending on how conservative you want to be as far, as far as a draw rate, we're talking 30 to $40,000 a year pre-tax, maybe depending on what type of vehicle it is in retirement. That's the technically correct answer. So it could technically last you forever if you're not taking too much income off of it. I mean, you could more or less pay yourself $3,000 a month in perpetuity. I mean, but that's the idea. Yeah. Right. But, but then it became, maybe this is actually a question about exhaustion as opposed to perpetuity. Maybe it's if I had a 25 year retirement, how do I best get my head around my ability to spend that money into the ground? Uh, do you think anyone looks at the retirement or, or thinks about the retirement and says, I'm going to be retired 20 years. This money needs to last 20 years. And if they do that, it's a giant mistake, right? Because if, if you're wrong and you live longer, you're sort of in trouble. 
a hundred percent. And the other reality, a professor I had as an undergrad, shout out to Jay. He used to always say he taught our retirement planning class and he would say retirement is go, go slow, go, and then no go. And the reality is, is that your spending is going to fluctuate depending on your phase in retirement as well. So like when you're retired and it's like, Hey, we want to go and do and see these things that we haven't done. That could be a more expensive phase. And then on the tail end of that, if you need long-term care, self-funding long-term care is a really big ask and not a lot of people can pull that off. So the question, I mean, truly is kind of impossible to answer when you consider those factors. I feel like a lot of people, maybe it's just culturally, there's this idea that you just need your house paid off and you need a million dollars and anyone can retire. I don't know. I don't know. So, so let's take a moment and, and walk through the logic of that for a second. You know? So let's say you retire and you, your social security income, well, let's pick one. What, what, what do you want? Do you want to go one person? Let's go one person. Yeah, yeah that's easier. Two, $2,000 a month or do you want to go higher? Yeah. That's fine. Okay. $2,000 a month, you've got a million dollars. That's going to be, uh, we'll, we'll call it $3,000 a month, right? Mm -hmm. Are you good with that? That's fine. And so now we've got $5,000 a month, $60,000 annually. Should a per with no housing expenses, right? No mm -hmm. mortgage or rent. Kristen, someone can retire on that, right? Oh, yeah. I would hope yes. so. Where where does it fall apart though? It, it falls apart with what do you? What's the first go? There's no go, slow go. Go go. What is it? Go go. 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 Okay, I was like Mojo, and then I was like, I don't think that's involved. <laughs> that's my dog. <laughs> oh well, no. Mojito is the dog, Mojito. but you say Mojo around kids so that you don't Correct. get popped for uh, <laughs> yeah. delinquency of a minor or whatever. It's fine. It's so fine. delinquency. No, it's what is it? No one cares. I don't um. Know. So where does it go wrong if someone is too aggressive pulling more than $5,000 a month? If it starts to creep to $6,000, like, oh, we're going on a vacation. So now my $60,000 that I have available, I actually spent seventy five dollars this year. Or I need a new roof on my house and I don't there have money in savings. Uh, and so then the, the million doesn't become an income producing entity. It becomes an emergency fund too, right? That's where it goes weird. That's exactly where it goes weird. That was going to be my example is in an attempt, something that's really hard to balance in pre-retirement in my, just what we see anecdotally is trying to pay off that house before retirement, but also maintaining that house because house maintenance is very expensive. So if you're three years into retirement, especially if you retired now, for example, sequence of return risk is a whole nother ball game. And then you need new windows on the house. We've totally changed the trajectory of your long-term goals by retiring in a down market and then needing extra funds right away. Do you have a feeling of how today's current inflationary environment might play out long-term for retirement planning? Are you still looking at 2.8 to 3% or do you think that has to tick up to take into account the modern times? It probably has to tick up, but as I kind of discussed before this show, I just created a financial plan for a class I'm in and I used 3% as my assumption, but that actually was probably more grounded in wishes and hopes than the reality that I think that we might have to face, at least maybe in the intermediate term, but I still used 3% because I would like for that to be true. You know, the other element of where this might fall apart is that if a person is currently earning more than $60,000 a year Thank and from a, from a net 
perspective, a take-home perspective, they're spending and living on more than what would net out uh, in retirement. I think that could be an issue because I find that trying to replicate the lifestyle you've lived for decades on a, on a different structured income, I think yep. that's where this can go awry. And when people don't even account for the different tax status of that income and, and the tax ramifications of it. Yeah, 100%. You have to, that's why we work with power percentage. It's a proprietary metric that we have here that, you know, you and some others developed. And it's, we have to break dependence on our income as we lead into retirement. And I'm not saying that doesn't mean like eat ramen and save everything so that you can retire early. It means ensuring that there's a seamless or as seamless of a transition as we can have as you go from income earning years to living off of the income that you kind of withheld, I guess, would be the term. I know that we're trying to take a giant topic. Oh, I don't know, mm -hmm. retirement right. uh, and, and trying to distill it down to a nine minute and 22 second segment today. But I'll also note where this can go off the um, go off the rails is when a person is about to retire, they make a massive housing change. Mm -hmm. And so then they go to their empty nester home or their forever home, whatever people call things. And home. yeah, and it changes the dynamics of not only their utility payments, it changes the dynamics of upkeep and maintenance. And mm -hmm. I feel like that pre-retirement housing choice has as much to do with retirement success as just about anything else. Yeah, I totally agree. And the other reality is that as you age, you will be reliant on other people for maintenance and even simple things like lawn maintenance and things like that. So if you have a support system that's willing to help you with that, that's great. But if you don't, those are expenses that you may not have counted on in your working years either. Well, yeah, it's, uh, you made me think of the old retirement condo where the, the condominium fee uh, climbs and it feels like you've paid off the condo, but mm -hmm. it is still a, a regular expense. Now, having lived in a condo before, I, I know that feeling and, and maybe you know that same feeling too, Kristen. Yeah, I, I do live in an old people condo, so it's fine. You're the whippersnapper that keeps everyone uh, on their toes in your community. Absolutely. Nice. All right, here's what we're going to do, Kristen. You brought up a question before the show. I think it's a brilliant question. In order to be considered financially well, does a person have to have some degree of frugality? That's where we're going to spend, I believe, the majority of the rest of the program today. Do you have to be a little bit frugal, a little bit cheap to be financially well? That's all next right here on the Pete the Planner Show. Mom, Pete the Planner. All right, so Jeremy just says, good morning. Thinking of doing a drinking game every time Pete does an accent, drink, always enjoy the show. Kristen, do I do that many accents? I don't know. I'm going to pay attention now. I'm not in denial, but I know I do little, little, like I'll do like a voice. Little characters. Yeah. It's like, well, I don't know. I mean, is that, you know, <laughs> maybe that's what Jeremy means. Well, now I'm going to be sensitive to it. Okay. So, uh, for this, the live streaming audience, um, every time I apparently use a different voice, oh, little oh, voice no. like this, I do do things like this. You so do. Then, yeah. Uh, oh, Jason notes that oh, Jason. He, he's, he's room stalking. <laughs> Kristen's bookshelf looks a little more stocked this week, but the liquor bottle is noticeably absent. Well, when she enjoyed the uh, the liquor, she got very productive and put a bunch of stuff up on there. <laughs> I thought maybe I should add a couple books to my 
bookshelf, Jason. Let's <laughs> let's take a deep look into your bookshelf here. Okay. I know you always you always hate this I shot. Love this so view. I love we've it. We've got the tractor at the top. You've got your problem solver of the year award here from your money line. You've got your college degree. Mm-hmm. You've got some books, and you've got a Van Halen album, and then you've got uh, a trophy from work as well, <laughs> which was called a Golden Peter, which that whole award package has been sunset. You know what I mean? That's true. I didn't mean to say it. Package. You know, you know what I didn't mean to. Let's move on. Okay. Segment, Segment <laughs> number two. In three, two, one. Back on the Pete the Planner show, Kristen Alanius, Director of Education at Your Money Line, joins me here today. Damien's on vacation. Kristen, before the show, you and I were doing a little chit-chat, as they, I believe the kids call it. And you said to me, you know, I've been wondering how frugal a person needs to be. How much frugality do they have to have in them in order to consider themselves financially well? And I think that's a really, really, really interesting question. And here's why. Because I think a lot of people are smart with money. And by smart with money, they know how to make it. They know how to grow it. But it's their own lack of frugality that gets them into trouble. They've got really expensive tastes. They want everything to be the best. And that's where having a lot of money, yet needing a lot of money, creates some problems. So, plain and simple, Kristen, on a scale of 1 to 10, how much frugality does a person need in order to be considered financially well? I, this is so hard because I have a follow-up thought as I've continued to noodle on it. But if I have to pin it down on the scale, I would say like maybe three to four. Okay. You need to be a three or four to be financially well. What are you? (laughs) Depends on who you ask. I think if you asked anybody that knows me, they would probably say I'm like an eight, but I don't feel like I'm that bad. So maybe like a five. What do you think I am? Oh, that's hard. Are you maybe like a, maybe a three? I think I'm probably a three. I, I'm probably, yeah. what, what do you have to be a three? I'm probably at the I bottom end of that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah. but I you know phone... what? There's, there's certain things I just don't spend a lot of money on that a lot of people do. Exactly. That's my exact thought. And the other thing too is, is it as much about awareness that subsequently creates that frugality and not actually being frugal by nature. So like, because I look at my budget, I start my day with my budget smoothie every day and I see where my money goes. I feel like I have a different relationship with my money. And then when I see how much it costs to go to the grocery store or how much my electric bill was this month, I think it creates more awareness and then in turn makes me more frugal. Is it, can we just say that if you look at the primary budget categories in your life, you need to have two or three in which you are frugal? I mean, isn't that, let's say there's 10 primary budget categories. Mm-hmm. Can, can't we just say that three of them have to be uh, peppered with frugality? Okay, so yours is food, right? Or Other than if, when you go to Subway. <laughs> the grocery store. I okay. will go out to eat and like have a drink and like do that. But to go to the grocery store... I'm not buying name brand. I'm just not doing it. I would say cars were mm-hmm. frugal and we we used to be a more more frugal than we are now, but 
we're frugal when it comes to cars. How about mm-hmm. you? You've got a big giant behemoth of a car. I do, but I also don't hope, I hope to never have a car payment like again forever. Um, and the car choice that I made was very deliberate with that being the long-term plan. So yes, not super frugal in the short term, but the goal is to provide long-term decreased expenses from a transfer in like the category that is transportation. As I'm sitting here thinking about this whole concept, it's it's fascinating because I can only think of a couple categories in which I I would claim to be frugal. And I think a very frugal person can name various categories of which they have sensitivity. So my other big category would be vacations. We go on vacation, but quite frugally, right? We will use, Mm -hmm. you know, my frequent flyer miles and those sorts of things. So we don't end up spending a lot on vacation. Uh, What about you? When it comes to vacations, do you have any sense of frugality or not really? Tons. That's why I fly like budget airlines where you have to put your knees into your chest to get into your seat, um, looking for deals on hotels. I plan my vacation, although I'm, I'm very fortunate. Not everyone has the ability to do that, but we have a pretty generous vacation policy here. And it gives me the freedom to say, well, I'd like to go when it's cheap. So let's plan to go somewhere when it's cheap and then take that time off. Yeah. What's your, what's your category of the greatest extravagance then? If, if we've no, yeah. What is your biggest extravagance? What do you spend the most on that? No one knows until now. I don't, I don't know that I really spend, I mean, my really, boring, my really boring, but true answer is probably, I mean, my dogs are pretty expensive and some people might think that they're spoiled and that that's egregious. So maybe, maybe my pets. Yeah. For, for us, it's food and kids activities. Yeah, that's fair. And, and I guess the strange thing about that is, you know, I was of course hypercritical at one point (laughs) in my career about how much people spend on their kids. And I will admit that travel sports sports, and that's all our kids do. Um, I will note that that criticism lacked the nuance. It probably should have being that the, the nuance was meant to say, in relation to saving for your financial goals. Sure. If, if a person is, is full throttle spending money on their kids now and ignoring the future, not only for the kids, but for themselves, then that's a, that's a problem. But if you happen to spend a lot of money on your kids, but you also are funding your goals, then obviously that's not as big of an issue. Sure. So what if it's not one specific category and what if it's just a general level of awareness just across the board? Like I make, maybe somebody makes a little bit of extra payment on their mortgage. They're mindful about their thermostat. They plan out trips um, to like vacations like we talked about. If you just kind of have this general level of awareness and just try and bring everything down like 10%, I mean, that can totally change the game as far as your short-term stability is concerned. Okay. So this got really interesting all of a sudden, because now there's two additional ways to view this. You could say, one, I'm paying more on my mortgage, whether that's a good idea or not, yet that is sort of a frugal, practical mindset. But then there's the danger side of this to say, I only buy things when they're on sale, which sounds like justification to buy anything when it's on That's true. (laughs) That's fair. 
Yeah, this is this is really interesting because thinking about reducing your expenses can often justify more expenses. Mm -hmm. That's why I have to have a budget smoothie. You just have to know. You have to have okay. your, your fingers on the pulse. People are wondering about this budget smoothie. You've been featured oh. <laughs> on the internet for your budget smoothie prowess. Please tell yes. the people about your budget smoothie. It's all anyone's talking about. Well, I was on a podcast and the question was, um, it was a wellness podcast and the host asked me, what is your kale and your kryptonite? And I said that it might seem like a setup, but my kale is that I start every day with looking just really quickly at my budget. It takes me less than five minutes, but that's always how I start my day. It's on my Google task list. And I think that it makes me more aware. And I think that it makes me it increases my level of financial wellness. And I called it a budget smoothie versus like a kale or a spinach smoothie. So you look at your budget every day. Every day. And you said you're an eight on the frugality scale? Yeah. Kristen, you're a 12 on the frugality <laughs> that doesn't, scale. That doesn't make me frugal. Like my mom just gave me grief for how much I spent on this shirt the other day. Like I still spend money. I'm just Was it on aware. sale? I had a coupon, but it still was. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm cheap. It's fine. <laughs> I, I We've talked about this on the show. I have, I got bit by the savings bug here in the last couple of months, like big time. Mm -hmm. um, today's payday here at your money line, as you know. Oh yeah. And uh, <laughs> yes. And uh, <laughs> I've already been in this morning and, and made a a, a transfer uh, into savings. It's, it's a new habit, an additional habit, I should say, that's developed in the last couple of months. So it is weird when you do this for a living, how those things happen. So let's do this. Let's take a break. Coming up after the break, more discussions of frugality and fun. I'm Pete the Planner. Did that count as a voice? Yeah, probably. Oh. Drink. Ah, <laughs> uh, budget smoothie. PTP quote, J, you know, uh, J.O.'s commenting there, my, my good friend, Julie. Um, you know, I think she's, that household's probably seven or eight in terms of frugality. Because, mm -hmm. I mean, I, they, they track their stuff pretty, pretty religiously and they have a, certain extravagances, whether it's wine or whatever, but, but they keep it pretty tight. Mm -hmm. All right, Kristen, where do we go from here? We got any meat left on that bone? I don't know. Let's, I mean, the utility okay. thing was an original idea, but that kind of. Let's go with um, student loan forgiveness falling apart. Oh, man. I know it's a new story for you, but. Um... My soapbox. Okay. So we'll get ready to go in okay. three, two, one. Back on the Pete the Planner show. Kristen, I don't know if you saw this, but this week. It appears President Biden's executive order surrounding student loan forgiveness starting to unravel a little bit. Uh, we helped people understand what the original executive order was several weeks ago, and we did hedge and say this stuff still needs to get through and it's not guaranteed. Uh, this sweater starting to unravel a little bit. How big is the hole at this point and how much bigger is the hole going to get, Kristen? 
Well, right now, the original announcement said that the loans had to be owned by the Department of Education. And if you're someone who doesn't work in that space, that might seem like an obvious statement. Federal student loans should be held by the Department of Education. But the reality is, is that prior to 2010, about 80% of federal student loans were guaranteed by the Department of Ed. They weren't owned by the Department of Ed. There is a distinction with a difference, unfortunately. And what originally happened was that they said, as long as you consolidate those loans, so if your loan wasn't owned by DOE, if you had an FFEL or a Perkins loan, you could consolidate it to a direct loan, which is a loan that is owned by the Department of Education. And then you could have the ten dollars or $20,000 in forgiveness, depending on your income level and whether you were a Pell Grant recipient. As of I don't know when the announcement went up on the on the Department of Education's website, but people started noticing it yesterday. If you did not consolidate your loan before Wednesday and you are one of those people, you are no longer eligible for student loan forgiveness. Okay, okay. okay. So <laughs> I know that's a lot. That that's what just happened. Let's focus on the last part here. So yeah. if people didn't take an action and that action was consolidation, of mm-hmm. some sort by Wednesday of this past week. Correct. They are no longer eligible for forgiveness. 700 an estimated 770,000 people are no longer eligible for student loan forgiveness. Was there any indication other than your gut feeling uh was there any indication that people needed to do that? Maybe just I think I'm biased. I don't think to the average viewer or just uh, the average person that you would have thought I need to do this immediately because the Department of Ed also pushed out these statements about the form will be ready in October. So there was kind of this, what do I need to do now mentality? And the answer was, well, just wait, we're working on the form. And if someone has loans that were from before 2010, they were going to be one of the people that had to fill out the form anyway. So I'm sure they probably feel a little misled. And I think that that's an understandable feeling. But no, I don't think that if you aren't someone who works in this space, I don't think that you would have known that you needed to get that done two days ago. Yeah. Let's say it's early September. uh, You and I are at a party and Mm -hmm. we're having some ranch waters. Yeah. Yeah. But it's only 8.30 p.m. because I'm still at the party. Oh, okay. Yeah. Because <laughs> okay, otherwise I'd be home. <laughs> like you crack past 8.37, That's I'm not fair. interested. Okay. okay. So I'm, okay, I'm painting a scene here. Don't get me distracted. Mm-hmm. Sorry. So I'm hitting the heavy appetizers pretty pretty good at this point. Mm-hmm. Almost embarrassing my, my significant other. She's like, you got to save some. Okay. I would Almost. continue. Okay. And let's say someone else comes in the conversation. They're like, yeah, I've got these types of loans. Would honestly, would you in early September, Christian, would you have said, hey, take action right now in hope that you don't get left out in the cold? Would, would you have said that to someone or, or would you not have had the foresight to have done that? Probably yes, but I've for a while made the argument that there are so few people that benefit from not moving their loans to a direct consolidation loan that it's just so hard to justify not making that move. There are exceptions to that rule. And I would 
I have no shame. I would have asked the person for more information. Um, like if you have a really high outstanding amount of interest, it might not make sense for you, for example. But I probably would have said like consolidate your loan because here we go again, because at the start of the pandemic, these borrowers didn't have their loans paused right away either. They continue to be forgotten, despite the fact that they hold the oldest loans in the portfolio. And to not be forgotten, you have to be part of the primary loan program, because otherwise we just pretend that these people don't exist. I'm going to ask you a question that you could take political uh, if you wanted to take okay. politically. You don't have to you do whatever you want. How, how did this gap um, come to be? And is this a mistake? Was this an oversight? Was this always intended to be this way that at the end of September, people, 700,000 people who were excited that they got some relief would be disappointed? Was this poor communication? How, what just happened in the last several weeks that left 700 thousand people ineligible for something that they were previously eligible for kind of i think it was oversight i think when you're looking at the tens of millions of people that were eligible for student loan forgiveness and looking at trying to figure out a way to make this make sense logistically i think that they were just forgotten and then the original announcement said that the department of education was working with private um lenders and servicers to try and figure out a way to include these people. And the website does still say that, that they're trying to work with the servicers. But the problem is, is those contracts were signed decades ago. And I don't know what leverage the DOE has um, in this space because those servicers are counting on, you know, income from servicing those loans. So to get them to just give them up, I don't really know how that would work. Well, to pile on because <laughs> yeah, that's what's Why about not? to happen. Um, the, uh, several Republican led states sue to block the plan to erase student loan debt. The Republican attorney general of Arkansas also pronounced Arkansas filed the lawsuit joined by Kansas, Missouri, Iowa, South Carolina, and Nebraska to halt this. I was going to say legislation, but it's not legislation to it's halt this order. Um, there, there's two things here. Number one, saw this coming. Saw this coming. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, we'll talk about whether we think it's going to work or not. But the second thing that sticks out to me is a Hoosier, someone who lives in Indiana. I can't believe Indiana is not joined in on this. That's true. That's fair. That is shocking. I mean, our attorney general loves to jump in on stuff like this. <laughs> um, I can't believe he didn't. And 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 I think we're eventually going to find out why. But uh, do you think, based on your extensive legal and uh, political Tons. background, what do you think? Does this work? No, I don't think. I think that it'll be a fight for a while until something else is a headline. And I, I think that that's more grounded in my hope, in my fear for people who have felt like they were going to receive this relief. I just, I can't, I can't let myself believe that this will be undone. I just can't wrap my head around that. I don't know if it was the pandemic with all of the stimulus packages where large aggregate spending and expenditures uh, related to the government started to feel like monopoly money. But the, the, the total cost of this package over 10 years is $379 billion or $30 billion a year, roughly $30 billion a year. I have to admit to you, I am at a point where I don't know if that's a lot of money or not. I don't either. 
you know, is that I, bad? I, well, I don't know. Like it's funny. My kids, um, at the, at the dinner table a couple months ago, we were just trying to get the kids to say what they thought stuff costs, like a car or a house or a vacation. Mm-hmm. And they were clueless. Like they were like, ah, you know, they're given <laughs> dumb answers. That's how I feel about this. I don't totally. know. I don't know if $30 billion a year is a lot for student loan forgiveness. And that makes me sad. And people might think that I should not host a radio show, uh, but hosting a radio show doesn't mean you're smart. It just nope. means that I don't know what it means. Actually, it's, it's just a narcissism play. I'm pretty sure. That seems aggressive. Eh, it is what it is. All right, Kristen. So uh, before we go to the break, does student loan forgiveness go through? Yes. Yes, it happens. Yes. Boy, okay. You know what? I'm going to go with yes, it does as well. But I think there's going to be uh, additional uh, roadblocks along the way. Coming up after the break, speaking of roadblocks, there's the voice. Drink. Uh, <laughs> coming up after the break, biggest waste of money of the week and the news. I'm Pete the Planner. Man, I am predictable. Someone said they like the demon voice. Who doesn't, doesn't love the demon voice? It's so good. That's fair. Uh, the, 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 the demon voice there's actually a different version of it and it's if you change the pitch it's this is the demon voice it's sort of like an elf voice we call this the elf voice and this is <gasps> damien dunn joins the program <gasps> special guest hey. damien dunn from a hurricane shelter <laughs> yeah he brought the bison with him yeah so dame here's the problem i have right now you've got a lot of stuff to do no, I, I legitimately have to go in like 10 minutes. So we're going to do okay. this segment. All right. So <laughs> hang out. Um, Because I got to edit the show because I have an 11 o'clock call. So, oh my gosh, Dame. There's so much to talk about. Can we just check in with you? And then uh, when we start the segment and then tease next week's show where you just give us the story if you choose to tell the story. Yeah, sure. Sure. Are you planning on sharing your adventure? I am an open book, Pete. Okay. It's so good to see you. You fashion fashion camo. <laughs> oh no, that's that Lululemon sweatshirt. It's not fashion camo. Wait a second. Dame is wearing a Lululemon fashion camo sweatshirt. I have rubbed off on that man. Well, you know. What <laughs> do, you, do you do you want to know who provided the funds for this? Me, the queen. Oh, oh yeah. yes. It was a it was a Christmas uh, gift. It was card. a Christmas gift. Jeez. Okay, here we go. Queen of England, may she rest in peace. Um, oh, the other queen. Sorry. Yeah. In th- oh, okay. Oh man, Dame is back. This is exciting. The audience is going to lose their mind. Three, <laughs> two, one. This week's biggest waste of money of the week, right here on the Pete the Planner show, is it's called the Stadium Good Sneaker Safe. Stadium Goods and German safe manufacturer Dotling have collaborated on a limited edition collection of sneaker safes. The trunk-like cases come in three luxury finishes, including cowhide, calf leather, faux ostrich, and faux alligator. And protect collections with rechargeable fingerprint lock and motion-triggered sound alarm. Inside, an Italian Alcantara interior displays kick with LED lighting and features vents to increase airflow. Each piece will be handmade to order and Dotling's Sindel 
Fingen factories with production limited to just 15 examples. Kristen, not only am I going to toss to you to see what you believe this thing costs, but I'm also going to welcome our weather correspondent to the program, Damian Dunn, who makes it to the fourth segment of the show after being in Marco Island, Florida. So we will start with Kristen. How much do you think this thing costs? I have no idea because shoes can be so expensive. And if you're going to be the kind of person who keeps your shoes in a locked safe that's ventilated and everything else that you just said, I feel like it's got to be extravagant. And, yeah. but extravagant is such a relative word. Is it a thousand dollars? All right. That's your guest, Damien. Um, what do you think? Man, I, I thought it was a single pair uh, safe, but I was wildly <laughs> wrong. I, I, this has got to be uh, $1,250. This is $33,600, and that's why it's the biggest waste of money of the week. Before we get to the news, um, let's address the elephant in the room. Sorry, Dame. <laughs> um, Come on. I even gained that much weight. Uh, Dame, welcome back from Marco Island, Florida. We're really glad you're okay. I would uh, I, I would like to submit that my vacation days were the biggest waste of money uh, of, <laughs> of, of the ever at this point. But yeah, it's it's uh, it's good to be back. Uh, it was uh, absolutely wild, uh, you know, twenty four hours uh, going from what we thought was going to happen to uh, evacuating the island and Florida at that point. So. We uh we can get into that story next week. Well, you know what? If you want to tell it now, we could just scrap the news for this week. Scrap the news. Scrap the news. <laughs> so Dame, I already told one of my news stories anyway. Tell well, the I, people. I tend to do that. So Damien, you and your your wonderful family went to vacation in Marco Island, and you got there what day? Last Saturday. Okay, you flew down. Flew down. Rented a convertible. Yeah, I mean it's it's Florida, man. It's you might as well have a convertible and enjoy the, the what little of the good weather we thought we were going to have. I mean there was a, a little bit of a, a calculated decision taken there because we knew there was a storm brewing out in the in the Gulf, but we we thought and there's uh, every bit of uh, chance that it's it's uh, you know just a a couple days of rain for us uh, as opposed to anything else. So we went ahead with our plans and flew down got the convertible and drove down and enjoyed a, a couple of really nice days uh, there on the on the beach and then things changed a little bit real quick before you went was there any talk of canceling your trip no okay no. so you get there what day did you raise an eyebrow of like do we have to make a decision here um i think we mrs advice and i looked at each other sunday night and said maybe we ought to check uh, and just see kind of what the contingency plans are at this point. And so Monday morning I went down to the the front desk and said, Hey, um, I, I don't know if you know this, but there's something going on out in the Gulf and, and we've got a lot of people here and a lot of people on the Island. I, I'm not sure what's going on. Uh, I was given uh, the the story and which I still believe to be very true. I haven't seen any pictures of, of where we stayed yet, but it's um, elevated. It's built on, you know, pilings and, and there's uh, it's category five rated plus and it's it's really a pretty phenomenal structure. It's I, I would be shocked if water got to uh, 
the area where the the pool is in the upper level so um we thought all right well uh, uh, unless this gets a direct hit we're probably going to be all right and then the weather continued to progress and we looked at the the maps and looked at where the hurricane was and then looked back at where we were on the map and thought, mm, okay, it was a little uncomfortable, but I think we can do this. It might, you know, and how many kids get to tell their friends that my parents took us on vacation and we got to see our very first hurricane. So, so maybe this will be a, a good thing for us to just weather out and teach our kids about resilience. Uh, Tuesday afternoon, things were looking drastically different. And uh, at 7.30 that evening, we got a knock on our door and said, hi, you got to go. Uh, the bridges are going to close to get off the island in probably about 30 minutes. Got to go. We hadn't packed. Did you forget a charger? I always forget a charger at a hotel. We forgot one Yeti cup. That was it. Oh, that's oh. like $1,000. I know. I am, is that the I'm, biggest waste of money of the trip is the Yeti cup? No, Things Yetis are replaceable. Real. Yetis are replaceable, Pete. Yetis are okay, so we've got three and, a, three and a half minutes here. Yep. So, Dame, you guys jump in the convertible fleeing mm -hmm. a category five storm. I don't know if you know this, Pete, but convertibles have tops that go up, and they, they keep you protected from the elements. Now, yeah, it's but a it's still bit a cloth top. It's cloth. Yeah, it's still cloth. Yeah, but it's just rain at this point. I mean, I love that bald guy tries to explain how convertibles work to another bald guy. There's <laughs> just something sort of like we both have convertibles. So we, um, we, we hop in, uh, hop in the car, uh, make it onto mainland uh, and uh, start headed towards the airport because that's where we were going to return our convertible and pick up an SUV and beat feet to get out of paths uh, harm's way but as we're driving to the airport we're listening to the radio and trying to pay attention to, to what's going on rain is coming down uh probably harder than i've ever experienced it making oh. visibility virtually zero <laughs> at points i'm in time. so nervous right now man we'll oh. wait uh, and so uh, the you know the emergency sound comes across the radio oh no says uh uh Tornadic activity spotted here and here. And 30 seconds later, we pass a sign that says that's exactly where we're at. So what? we did the only thing we could do is just continue, continue traveling through as fast as we can. Well, what are you going to do? Figure, stop? Well, yeah, stop, get in a ditch, drown in a ditch. Uh, so we, uh, we keep going because we figured there's some delay between the time that report is generated and then broadcast. So it's probably already passed at that point. And plus they came on and said, there's no guarantee that this actually touched the ground. It's just in the air. It's like, all right, well, here we go. So we just kept on going and eventually made it to the airport. I'm pretty confident we were the last person to get a car out of Fort Myers airport. Uh, the, the company that we had rented the convertible from had abandoned the uh, airport at that point and so we left it uh they had closed their lots off and so we left it outside their lot uh and got excellent service from uh national uh the the national rent a car or whatever their their full proper name is they were fabulous to work with uh they got us into the biggest heaviest thing i could possibly get my hands on and we uh escaped man i don't know if i was ready for that now that i hear it Oh my gosh. All right. Well, I I got a million questions. I'm going to take all of them off the air though, because uh I, I just want to know how the kids are and 
and uh, Mrs. Advice and all that. I don't really want to go through that on the air, but uh, Kristen and I are really glad you're safe and okay. we're glad you guys made that decision. And it's, uh, I think it's going to be really strange to eventually see pictures of that area that you just spent time in. So absolutely. And if you've got any free dollars, uh, go find the Red Cross, send them that way. It's going to be a long, long recovery for a lot of people that are in great need down there. Mm -hmm. All right. So Dame, thanks for coming and, and popping in and, and giving us that story. Uh, Kristen, as always, thank you for uh, the news items you brought us this week, which was just a hurricane story for You're Dame. Welcome. Uh, everybody else, we're sending you good vibes because good vibes are all that's in the budget. Other than the funds, we're going to donate to the Red Cross, and we hope you do the same. Uh, we'll see you next week. This is the Pete the Planner Show. I'm Pete the Planner. Did I? I mean, not that this matters, and this is really dramatic, but I, I literally have the chills right now, Dame. Well, because uh, this is about a... me, not about not about <laughs> your experience. This it's is about a... me. Uh, I'm I'm affected. It was an experience. I, I don't care to ever go through that again. And should we have made uh, uh, decisions earlier? Probably. Probably. But we made the best decisions we could with the information that we had uh, given to us by people uh, we uh, trusted to give us the best information possible. They've been through, uh, you know, things like this and they had an experience. And I mean, there's there's all sorts of crazy stuff like the, the, the when they came and knocked on our door they gave us uh, a copy of the notice of evacuation uh gave us maps to shelters that just happened to be closer to where the landfall of the hurricane was going to be um and the timestamp on the facts that they got facts still was two hours before we got it and it's with that, we're going to go. Uh, I, I do have to go, Jeremiah. Um, so I hope you don't like storm stories. Uh, Dame, I'm actually going to give you a call this afternoon. I'd love to, if you're available, if you're taking phone calls. Sure. Uh, Kristen, you became all of a sudden very uninteresting in this segment. <laughs> it's fine. Can you do better? I cannot. Okay. Uh, thanks, everybody. We appreciate you. We're glad Dame's safe and uh, wishing for the best for all the people in uh, Southwest Florida and all of Florida and now South Carolina. So uh, American Red Cross, you can text uh, and make a donation, $10 via text. I don't know the number. You can Google it. I'm not a walking Google. Stay getting money.